2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 through 18. Please listen carefully, for this is the word of the Lord. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. I've been thinking um, and praying um, for quite some time, what is the, the series, what is the passage that I want to preach on this day? That's a, it's a good day. It's a great day. And um, the, this passage came to mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, and this passage, it's a deep and rich and extraordinary passage. And it is one that is uh, dear to my heart. And it taught me something very deep about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to have Jesus in our lives. And so uh, this series is called uh, Treasure in Clay. And if this passage says that um, the clay, that's us. It's common stuff. It doesn't seem um, worth much. But um, what goes into the clay is Christ. His life, his death, his hope, his forgiveness, his grace. We have this glory that we can get because if you meet Jesus, you have seen what, what the scriptures say. You have looked into the glory of God through where? Into the face of Jesus. And this glory is in us. But it's in something that doesn't look like much. And um, that's, that's the message I really want to start off with today because the glory of God, look, in, in, in theory, 
you know, we're not the only ones that believe God is powerful. I mean, uh, you know, Muslims say God is great. Jews believe, you know, in, in the same God, and they believe he's creator God who made all things from nothing. You know, like, they don't disagree with us. There are Hindu gods who have, have, have great power. The Greek gods have great power. But that isn't the way the Bible fundamentally talks about his glory. You know what is glory? Glory is something that is so beautiful that it's worthy of your life. You know, like, um, we, we, in our time, we don't even understand this word glory. Glory is um, like Steph Curry, <laughs> you know, taking a shot from 35 feet away and um, winning championships. That's, that's about as good as we get maybe in the Bay Area in terms of glory. Or like some guy making a product and then, you know, a year later he, he's a billionaire. Like that's kind of the glory that we care about out here. But that's all about people who are like, I'm strong, I'm better, I'm greater than you. That's how the world always thinks about what is glorious. And uh, we don't, they don't usually use that word. But in the Bible, there is a beauty. A beauty of something so tremendous, it's worthy of your life. It's worthy of your money. It's worthy of your time. It's worthy of your life. It's worthy of your kid's life. And, um, but it doesn't come in the way the world thinks. It comes in what this passage calls jars of clay. Clay, like very um, common-looking stuff, and that's you and me. And that's, the, that's what I want to talk about today. So part one, the importance of authenticity. The importance, that's a word that so many people in our day, because, you know, this is a, this is a time of fake. <laughs> we, we're, we're fake everything, you know, like fake news, you know, like a, a fake image, fake, you know, other fake things, all right? <laughs> so, like, everything's fake. And what, what people want today is, you know, that's the word that people talk about is authenticity. There, this passage speaks of that, all right? Part one. Part two, the church as the vulnerable and authentic community, right? Today, people are deeply lonely. They're looking for a certain kind of community. They don't even exactly know what it's like. They just know it's supposed to be authentic. But I think this key is vulnerable. Vulnerable, authentic community. That's the church. And part three, I want to close by sharing the gospel because this is the way that this passage says it. We're looking at this early portion of this passage. It says, carrying in our bodies the death and the life of Jesus. That's the Christian way. That's the gospel way. Not carrying in our bodies you know, we, we're good looking and we make a lot of money and everything is going to be perfect and great. What we carry is the glory of the death and the life of Jesus, right? Um, so part one, let, let's start off this way. Um, you know, it, it says this strange thing in this, uh, in, the, in this passage that we have this treasure. What's this treasure? That for God said, it says, here, it says here in verse 6, For God said, let light shine out of darkness. He has let the light shine out of darkness. That's the, what God said. He has, but then where did the shining come from? He has shown in our heart. Our hearts to give what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I'll just stop for a moment. Um, you know, uh, when we look at our friends and neighbors, and just generally in life, you have people, we're always looking at them from the outside. We look at each other from the outside. Um, and people, 
You know, you come in here, you know, some of you guys, you look very happy and excited today. Some of you dress really nicely, and some of you dress, you know, your normal way. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Which is fine, because however you want to come, come. All right? And, um, but we, we came, and what we do is we size each other from the outside. But where does the light come from? Normally, we look at light, and it's, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's a little light in my face right now, more than I'm used to. And, there's the, and, you know, it's day, so there's sunlight. Today's a nice bright day. But the Bible says there is a light in a very dark place. It's all dark. And the light comes out of where? The light shines in the heart. It shines inside. And what is that light shining? It shines the knowledge of the glory of God. How? In the face of Jesus. That's what Jesus is everything. If you have Jesus, you have seen what is most glorious about the most glorious thing there is. If you haven't seen Jesus, you're still in the dark. And then it goes on to say this strange thing. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to whom? To God. To God and not to us. To show that it belongs to God and not to us. And so, and then it goes on to say this strange thing. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Let's just stop for, for it there. Um, you know, um, one, one of the, I, I, I've told you that there are certain kinds of preaching I really don't like. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's tended to call it the health and wealth gospel. I should call it the health and wealth anti-gospel. It's not really the gospel. If you're a worldly person, you're always looking for, this guy's rich and this guy's happy and, and everything's going great in his life. But actually, if you read what the word from the Bible actually says is, it, it doesn't say that. <laughs> That Christians will just go from victory to victory to victory. Their kids won't be bad. Christian kids will never do drugs, right? That Christian people won't ever be depressed. That Christians won't ever be suicidal. That Christians won't be angry because they don't have a good job. That Christians won't ever be tempted by lust and will be thinking about leaving their spouse. Does it say that in the Bible? Does it say, oh, that Christians will always be liked? And that everything's going to go great for us. But we already know we're not liked. In fact, it says here that we could be persecuted, but not forsaken. So this, this passage, you know, what Paul is doing is he's giving a defense of real apostolic ministry. What's apostolic? It's the, it's the preaching of the gospel from the apostles, the people who really knew the true word from God. But apostolic ministry is just true gospel ministry. And what's true gospel ministry? It doesn't mean we don't hurt it doesn't mean that we don't fall down. It doesn't mean that we don't taste of the bitterness and the hurts and the death and the fear and all this stuff in this hard and broken life. It doesn't mean any of that, but it means that this clay that we call our life, somehow in our heart, there is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's what it's talking about. I want to just, let, I wanna, let, let me just shift gears a little bit here. Um, I want to give you a little piece of advice that I like to give college students. 
So, you know, a number of, uh, I've been given this advice to our, our high school grads who go off to college. And, um, you know, I, I used to, be, before when we used to have only a few of them, I used to take them all out to lunch. And then I'd ask them this question and give them this piece of advice to help them find a good church or a good, uh, or a good ministry when they go off to college so they won't be lost in the darkness. Because colleges these days, <laughs> there's a lot of darkness. It's, uh, it's dark from what some of the things your professor is teaching. It's dark in, uh, in a lot of the temptations. It's just a lot of darkness, right? And, um, but, um, you know, now that you know, we have a little bit more college, I can't take you all out, so I just, like, pick one, <laughs> okay? Um, but, um, and then I hope that, that like, hey, go, go tell your friends. But I don't know if they actually do that, okay? Um, but this is, I go, I go let me give you, uh, I give you three pieces of advice. These are three things you should look for in a good church. This is the kind of church we should be. Hmm. Number one, it's always about Jesus and the gospel. What he has done for us, not what we do our, ourselves. What he has done for us because we couldn't have possibly ever done it. It's always about Christ. They go in there, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. It's his death, his resurrection, that's the gospel, right? So they're like, okay, they listen to that. And after, if you've been in our church for a while, you know, okay, I think I kind of have an idea what that's like, right? Number two, the second thing I say is, you go to that church and you meet somebody whose faith, whose pursuit of Christ you think is compelling. You're like, I wish I could be a little more like that. So if you're a sister, you're like, you see it a little bit older sister or a brother, you're like, man, I don't know how to be a Christian like that. And so if you see somebody in the church whose faith you find compelling and you wish you could be more like that, I would say, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good thing. Somebody's, somebody, their light is shining out of them and you see it. You get it? The light of, their, of the glory of God is shining out of their clay and you like it. That's a good piece. So go be around them. And here's the third thing I say. I say this. So go to a church that the Holy Spirit is in the room. <laughs> go to a church with the Holy Spirit in the room. And then I look straight at the, you know, that, this you know, 17-year-old kid and I say, hey, so do you know when the Holy Spirit is in the room? <laughs> and you know what they always say? They always say this. No, <laughs> uh, no. So let me ask you, do you know when the Holy Spirit is in the room? Let me ask you that. Many of you have been Christians for a long time. How can you tell when the Holy Spirit is in the room? And so then I go, okay, well, let me give you some tips. These are some of the things I look for. When I go to a church, any church, you know, I want gospel-centric. I'm looking around the room, I say, man, just, you can just get a sense the light of the glory of God is shining out of this guy's heart, this woman's heart. I saw it out of a number of people's hearts this morning when I worshiped in this service, right, with them. Um, but here's some of the other things I say. So if uh, they're exalting Jesus in the middle of praise and there's somebody sitting over there and they're just crying and they're falling apart. But everybody else in the room they think it's perfectly normal. <laughs> hey, there's somebody completely falling apart over there and they don't go, what, 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 what is going on over there? Can, can, let's go over and find, why, why are you falling apart? They don't do that. Everybody just acts like it's church. God is here. Christ is here. Of course you can be falling apart. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. You know, you see a person over here they're just broken down and falling apart and life is breaking them down. And then you see a person over here and they're super joyful, but then when you meet them, they're never prideful. They don't think, 
oh, my life is going so great. How come you're, you're not as cool as me? <laughs> you know, you ever, I don't know if you've ever been, have you ever been on the city? In this city, you kind of get that. <laughs> um, you get that in your schools. You get that in the city. It's not uncommon, right? But you see someone joyful, and yet they're lowly in their heart. And yet they come into this church, and they're hurting. And yet, everybody else thinks, you're in the right place. It's completely normal. That's the kind of church I hope we can be. Authentic. Authentic to be hurting. Because inside, you know, we put on all this, you know, you, 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 I hope you, you know, you combed your hair and you put on, you had a shower and some of you dress nicely, okay? <laughs> right? And, uh, but on the inside, you know, it doesn't show. Some of you on the inside, you're afraid. On the inside, you're sad. On the inside, you're, you're addicted. Okay? There's a lot going on. But may Jesus shine his glory into that. <laughs> Let's go to part two. Um, a church of the vulnerable. <laughs> uh, everybody's looking to see, um, if you are a good Christian, they're like, oh, you seem to be a really nice person and you believe in Jesus, you know the Bible, blah, blah. You know what they need? They just need to see it in a lot of people. <laughs> they need to see it in a community. And when they walk in, they, they, they're like, okay, these Christians, they seem like really nice, good people. I, I'm not one of those, <laughs> all right? And uh, I'll have to pretend like I'm a nice person, and they're going to walk in here like this. And maybe some of you are doing that. <laughs> maybe some of you are doing that. This is a really fake city that's all about we're strong and we're going to make a lot of money. And, um, you know, as long as you're smart and you got a lot of get-go, you can make it. What about all the, like, 95% of everybody else? What about normal people? Hmm? You know what they need? They need a community that's vulnerable. And you can be vulnerable. Um, I never thought I'd be a church planner. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do that. That's crazy. That's hard. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> Who would ever want to do that? And, uh, but I said, Lord, if you ever want me to plant um, the chur- uh, church and I would lead it, um, there, there's, I want a church that's not all about how great we are, but that's not afraid to say how weak we are. <laughs> um, years ago, my wife and I, and actually Christy, we, we met at a church. So I, I was very young. I was, I was in my early 20s. Grace and Christy were still in college. Okay? And uh, it was a beautiful church in Boston. Because, you know, they went to school. But we all went to school in Boston. And um, the, the church had a nickname. And it, it was in the town of Brookline, which is a suburb of Boston. And that church was called Brookline. It was, a, it was an English-speaking congregation out of a Korean-American church. But, you know, there was, a, there was a good number of non-Koreans in that church. Um, and, um, and we used to talk about, like, who chooses this church? That was really interesting. We had this discussion among, so back then, it couldn't have been the church was any good because the, the leaders were, the pastors were good because we didn't have an ordained pastor. We went through, or the pastor got fired. I mean, I'm not making this up. The pastor got fired because he ticked off the elders. And there were four people in seminary 
And they asked us to take over the ministry. And um, we really had no business taking, doing that. But this, this church was actually in a really theologically liberal denomination. So if we didn't take over the ministry, other pastors who don't preach the gospel would come in and demoralize our people. So we were all scared and unqualified to do this, but we said it's kind of better than the alternative. So the four seminarians, that's what we were called, and then some people called this the four-headed monster days. <laughs> all right? So, um, and, but like people still talk about how they fondly remember the four-headed monster days. And we didn't have much. Um, one of my dear friends, one of the seminarians, his name was Kenny. And we used to talk about who picks Brookline? So there were certain other churches that were cooler. <laughs> they were cooler than us. They were a little bigger than us. You know, they had like better space. Their band was better than, uh, whatever, okay? And so like we said, okay, the, all the kind of like the people who dressed super nice and they were gonna have like really great, you know, Boston is a super career-driven city just like this city. And they picked this one church. We're like, okay, that's where all the people who, who kind of know their doctrine and they're going to do really well in life. They, they picked this, this church. And then there, there was another church where, where the people were prettier, okay? And they were cooler. And that was sort of known as the, as the cool people church. And then, and then so people, what we found out was that people would visit that church among like Asian church options. There weren't a lot back then, okay? They would pick this church. And then they would visit this church. And then we'd sort of get kind of a leftovers, okay? <laughs> and that's kind of what Brookline was like back then. And, but the people who came to our church, they often deeply loved our church. They loved our church. And um, Kenny once stuck his, you know, his finger right on. He says, our church is a church for misfits. That's what it says. If you don't fit into this, you know, this crowd you know, kind of like this worldly sociology, or if you don't fit into this worldly sociology, and you don't fit anywhere, really. <laughs> but you can fit in here. That's the way he put it. And, um, and we all, we started saying that. Brookline, the church of misfits. All right? And if you came on a given Sunday... I, I don't know. This was a, a time when people dressed a little nicer to church, and Boston's a little bit more of a formal city, so people dressed nicer. But, um, but after service, as you got to know them, or in small group, as you got to know them, um, there was a lot of afflicted. There was a lot of fear. And there was a lot of shame. And it became a church where I thought the most beautiful thing about the church was this. And it was my friend Kenny who taught me that if you don't have this passage in your understanding of the gospel, and we don't have this in our church, he, he basically told me, I really wouldn't want to be a cool church because I wouldn't be able to come here. Like just, Kenny was like about six foot one and he weighed about 280. <laughs> and he didn't look like a cool person. He was a really articulate and godly man but he had a lot of hurt. And sometimes that hurt would spill out in his preaching. And he would say, you know, if our church was a cool church, I couldn't come here. That's the way he put it. And let me just share with you some of the people that went to Brookline. Because the reason I'm telling you about Brookline is if I ever had a church, it doesn't have to be exactly like Brookline, but it has to have this. This. 
this vulnerable misfits spirit where people who feel like they don't belong or they're ashamed or they're hurting or they're afraid or they're deeply guilty or depressed, they could say, I could go there. So just let me give you some, this, I'm not making any of this up. This, these are real people. This is what it was like back then, right? So here are some of the people, just a description of some of the people that were in our church. It's not a big church, maybe about 80 to 100. Not too much different than our, our church. A lot of Asians. Well, fairly young church, even, even younger than our church now. Um, but here's, here's some of the people that were in, in, in our church. There was a young woman. And when she was in high school, she had an abusive boyfriend. And he would just verbally tell her how she was worthless while he would use her for sex. <laughs> and she got pregnant, and then she had an abortion, even though she, she went to church. <laughs> and she was going, and she came from a Christian home. And she had an abortion, and... Um, that just ate away at her. All those abusive words and that horrible guilt. And when she came to church, she was sad, mostly all the time. And when she would go into small group, she couldn't even focus on the Bible lesson because she would just fall apart. And you know what her brothers and sisters in small groups would do? Instead of saying, hey, can you kind of get your act together so we can have our Bible study? That's not what they do. They would just listen to her. And they would cry with her. And they'd pray for her. Often. <laughs> They're young. Most of them are college students. This is what they do. Um, there was a young man who had become jaded by church. So he grew up in church. He was one of like the most faithful guys at church. He, so, so he got really faithful. Then he, as he got faithful, he saw that a lot of other people just came and like didn't do much work, okay? So then he would look at all the people who weren't doing any work and then he would get angry at them and basically he became an angry Pharisee. <laughs> and he got really bitter and he came to church and after a while, like various people would say, you know, can you, like they would try to talk to him. Some would get angry and talk to him and some would, you know, try to say, talk to him gently. And after a while, everybody had tried every way to try to talk to Mr. Angry, Mr. Angry, bitter Pharisee. And we realized like just kind of like this cloud of the devil had taken him over, but he, he was there every week. And you know what people in the church did? There's probably about a dozen people in the church. They realized there was no use talking to him. What we need is just God. So many people just started praying for him. It took about a year. And at a retreat, the Holy Spirit, just, <laughs> the Holy Spirit kicked him in the head so hard. He, I mean, he just changed. It was crazy how he changed. It was crazy how he changed. Though the woman I, I shared with you before, she, um, she came to a place of healing so the reason I could tell you this story about how she had this unbelievably broken background is because she wrote it in a, she wrote it in our, uh, we had this newsletter and she wrote her testimony and she shared it with everybody. Incredible. Um, it wasn't because the preaching was so good. <laughs> I mean, I only, I only knew like three pieces of theology, right? Um, 
there was a young woman who came into the church, and she was at another church. Boston is filled with a lot of religious ideas, and some of them are really bad. So she was in a church that was basically a cult. And um, she would sneak into our service 10 minutes after it started, and right as the benediction happened, she would bolt out the door so she wouldn't talk to anybody. And then in the last two, two or three months when she was in town before she graduated from her graduate program, she started coming more frequently and sticking around. And then she finally told the seminarians her story because she was in this, church, in this cult. And this cult was very, very controlling. And she would actually speak up and say, I'm not so sure this is right how you're treating people. And then the leaders in this cultist church basically turned on her and then told all the people inside the church, she's from the devil. They kicked her out of the church and said, you can never speak to her again because she's of the devil. That happened to her. She was like 24 years old. And so when she came into our church, she was scared. <laughs> you know what kind of a church she needed? a vulnerable church. <laughs> a church where the glory of God came through weakness. <laughs> she, she was scared. And I still remember this like, like, like it was yesterday. On her last day, right before graduation, she says, this is my last day at church. She came up to each of the seminarians and like three or four, she only had like two friends and she went up to those two friends and hugged each of us and she cried and said, thank you. Thank you for being faithful and giving me the gospel again and like renewing my hope that there could be like real God and real church. That's what she said. Um, there's more. There was a young man, when he was in high school, he went to, he went to this elite private school and he started dating this, I mean, he was a Chinese guy and he started dating this Korean gal and um, and she was a Christian, and he was a stone-cold atheist. <laughs> and for whatever reason, she didn't dump him. Because he, but he'd, he'd do this kind of stuff. She'd take him to church, and um, he would think the whole thing was completely stupid because science explains everything, you know? Like, you know, like that's such an uncommon viewpoint, right? <laughs> right, so it's, it's like more common today than ever. And so... They'd leave church and he'd steal the Bible <laughs> and then he would turn to his girlfriend and say, if God is real, how come he didn't keep, you know, like stop me from stealing this Bible? And then she gets so angry at him and like, and basically not talk to him for like a week, right? And then, um, and uh, I don't know, it's just the great mercy of God. She didn't break up with him. And then they stayed together. They actually went to college about two hours apart and uh, he went to college in Boston. She was a little outside of Boston. And his junior year, he got saved because he met a guy that was smarter than him <laughs> and basically tore apart his worldview. And he was like, well, that's crazy. And then he came to faith in Jesus. But the church was safe for him to come in and be an obnoxious jerk. <laughs> and then this other brothers would gently listen to all his anti-God arrogance and then gently basically take it apart. That's how he came to faith. Um, there was a young woman who grew up in, in a really dysfunctional family. And in the middle of college, she met her ideal boyfriend, the kind she could never get in high school. And then she ran off. She loved church. She was at church all the time. 
And then she was never at church because she was partying with her boyfriend. Until like about, about a year later, she kind of stopped listening, calling. Every, she stopped taking calls. And then a year later, she kind of slipped into our Friday night service, broken down. Um, there are men and women, there's a lot of prestigious schools in Boston, and they come there to make it. I'm like the best of the best for my school, and I went to, you know it, you can name some of these schools that are in Boston. And then they find out that, you know, being a slave of the success God is being a slave. <laughs> and then they walk into a church where you could be weak. And they're saying, this is the God I want. <laughs> and they get saved. And I'll tell you one more. Um, there was a woman, she was, she was in, I assume, this one was especially vivid because she was in our small group. Um, she shared, she came, she um, apparently had gone to church a few times. Her parents were not Christians. She had gone to church a handful of times when she was young. <laughs> And then she went to this, you know, super, like, anti-God school. And then in grad, uh, in grad school, after grad school, she decided to check out church. She kind of ended up at church, our church. And um, she was looking for God. And um, she, sees she, she was pretty. She was super talented. Her career was going to, like, take off. She looked like she had everything, right? But then in small groups, she shared... Well, I come from a family where my mom um, beat me. <laughs> my mom beat me. My dad was a coward. He let my mom beat me. The, the, night I, the, one that, the, the part that I remember is once her mom used a hammer. And she says, even now, I'm afraid of all women. I don't have any close female friends. I'm afraid of all of them. I kind of hate them. And I kind of have like a sick desire. I've just kind of ran through a lot of boyfriends. And um, I don't know how to relate to men either. She shared that. <laughs> she shared that in small group. Mostly I, sat, I was sitting there like just trying to, you know, like keep my mouth from dropping open, <laughs> Right? And what I was thinking was, what do you do with that? Well, we listened and we prayed and gave her the glory of God in the face of the crucified God, Jesus. You know, this is a, sometimes they'll tell you, it doesn't usually happen on Sunday. And it doesn't usually happen in the fellowship hall. It happens in a um, small group. It happens over at lunch. You know, this is like, in, in our church, our small groups, we call them GLFs, Gospel Life Family. That's exactly what it is. This is the place where you can be weak because you could be yourself in front of family. You could be authentic in front of family. You could hurt in front of a good family. She came from a really messed up family. She was looking for a real family. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, will you please, please go to GLF. 
You want to see this glory happen? It happens there. <laughs> like half of these stories was heard by somebody else in GLF, and then they would say, uh, could you come, like, come and minister to this person? She really, really needs prayer. And I was like, because I, like, like, I wasn't a full-on pastor, and I didn't really know what the heck I was doing. I was like, okay, I could pray for this person. But my tears apparently helped. Helped a lot. <laughs> now here's the way I want to close this message. You know, this is the kind of community I long for us to be. You know, if we have a cool band, that's cool. But, um, you know, if you wear non-hipster clothes, cool. <laughs> I actually want us to have an uncool band that plays really cool music, but it's cool not because we're cool, but because of Jesus. <laughs> right? The gospel's there. The glory of God is there in the face of the one who died for us. And when people come to our church... You just no idea who's going to step in. I'm telling you, if you had gone to Brookline Church back then, you had no idea these people were this weak and this vulnerable. The ones that were strong inside were like, everybody else is going to figure out I'm not that strong. But you know what? That's real. So I want to close with uh, sharing the gospel this way. This is the way this passage puts it. We're persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Here's verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Here's what people need. You know, that when they come to church, they need to hear the gospel sung in the lyrics. They need to hear the guy up here be able to say, Jesus Christ died the death you deserve to die. Live the life you could not live but gave you a new life there's no way you could have earned. It's all by grace. You could have done terrible things. You could be afraid. You could have done terrible things to you. And sin is just completely breaking you down and we're dying. But here is what they need to see in our bodies. This is like in our bodies. You know, every single one of your bodies, your body, if you have Jesus, you carry around Christ. You are actually in your body a bearer of the gospel itself. And here's, here's, what the, here's what it's saying. That in our bodies, we carry around the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be seen. The light of Jesus and the life of Jesus can come out of our heart. Here's what, here's, here's, it means a lot of things, but here's one of the things I think it means. You know, you, you and I know that in this life, we're dying. You know, some of these people were, they, they admitted they were suicidal until they came to our church. We're dying. You know, you're dying in little ways like, oh, darn it, that pimple doesn't heal anymore. Like, like, like happens to me. You know, don't worry when you're 16, it'll heal. When you're more my age, okay, that's like a little. But then there's the worst kind of dying. Now you're, you're physically okay, but inside you're depressed and you're just no joy and you're wasting away. That's a different kind of dying. It's my dying. It's my death. 
But what the gospel says is that we get to carry around the death of Jesus all the time. You know what the death of Jesus is? He's saying, like, I will come in and I will take your dying that you deserve, actually, because you don't know life and you don't know God and you don't know joy and you don't know love and you don't know mercy, you don't know truth. But if you take on my death, all your dying will die with my dying. And here's the great thing about Jesus dying. Because three days later, it's coming real soon, right? (laughs) Because Jesus dying is not the end of the story. Just a few days later, there is a new life that cracks out through his dying. He swallows up all our dying in his death. He gives us his dying. It's always in our life so that when we share, we're not like some happy, whoa, we're so cool. Christians, everything's all happy. Why don't you come and get all the happy, happy with us? You know, that phony, fake gospel that some people call the gospel, right? But instead, we have a really real God who enters right into the dying and the pain and the afflictions, into the vulnerability itself. And he gives us his dying so that we could say, We are persecuted, but never forsaken. (laughs) Never forsaken. I'm sad today, but I have eternal life through Jesus. And people will see that, not because, you know, our bodies look so strong, but out of our heart will shine the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus whom we've met. Is that the kind of church you would like to be? I would hope that that's the kind of church you want to be. And I think when people come to that, they'll like say what many of the people who came to Brookline felt. I can't really quite put my finger on it, but there's something really, really real here. It's authentic. Yeah, it's authentic God. It's authentic truth. It's authentic gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are so joyous to come to your table for the first time in our new home. Thank you for Trinity Church, our family, who we're just going to get to know. And we want to be a church where we can be weak and where the authentic glory of God flows right out of our hearts. And our Indian hurting neighbors our Chinese pharisaical neighbors, people who are worshiping and are being killed by the false god of success, by the devil through depression, can come into revive and find new life, not through our strength, but in our weakness. They will meet our clay, but they will find more than clay. They will meet our treasure, you our treasure. As we go to your table now, may we eat and remember you, you are in us. We're actually going to take you into our body and remember that your death and thus your life is always in our bodies. So that every single person who is a member of Revive can be a conduit, 
can be shine the light of the glory of God through the face of Jesus, that we would be the walking, breathing clay that shines the gospel, our treasure, Jesus. And we pray that everybody walks into this house, whether it's Trinity Church or the Revived Church, that's the God they'll meet. You, Jesus. May this be true in your name. Amen.